Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Morning, City Walk Church. How are we doing this morning? All right, come on. Well, we're, we're excited that you're here, and uh, we're going to have a good morning this morning. One thing I wanted to, before we dive into part six of our Forward series, uh, in a couple weekends, you, uh, you guys know we have Labor Day weekend coming up. And during Labor Day weekend, we've got a lot planned that weekend specifically for our church. Uh, it's a, it's a, a weekend that our society sets aside to do cookouts and hang out with family and go to parks and do those types of things. And so we're going to take advantage of that. In fact, we have 13 college students from Birmingham, Alabama that are going to come and are going to spend the weekend with us and serve with us. And so uh, you'll hear more about what's going to go on. We have an event for students on Saturday night. We're going to do some things throughout the weekend. On Sunday, we have something real special for kids. But the reason I tell you that is we have four of those college students that are still homeless. And so we need we, we figured we could just have them sleep here on the grounds if we don't find anywhere, but we have four more kids that need a bed to sleep in and breakfast each morning. And so if you'd say, you know what, I have a guest room, I live in the kind of Yuba City area, and I'd be happy to house one or two of those college students, it's really, really easy. You literally have to give them a Pop-Tart in the morning or something to eat. And uh, then you don't have to serve them any other meals and give them a, a bed with maybe some clean sheets and a pillow at night. And uh, that's really the, the big commitment. And so if you're able to do that, we need about four more of them to be housed. You can go to the Next Steps table and see Miss Sue and she'll, uh, she'll get you connected. And so uh, that's what, that's what we, I wanted to let you know about that. It's going to be a good weekend, but we got to get them some, some housing. So I wanted to let you guys know that. This past week, probably like you, I know a lot of our kids started school. I know a few of our students, I know Sutter High School starts this next week. And, and so by, you know, here within another week or so, everybody's going to be back in school. And probably if you have kids that are going to school or you have grandkids that are going to school, maybe they've already started, uh, over the last week or two, you have emptied your clothes budget line uh, into school clothes, school supplies, all that type of stuff. And I know for us, in the last few weeks, we've, you know, bought clothes. We have all three of our kids are going to school now. And so, you know, buying different clothes. When they're young, like Kate, she's going to kindergarten. Man, you can go to, like, Target, spend 50 bucks. She's set for the year. Uh, but we have uh, older kids. And, and, and you know if you have older kids, it's not quite as inexpensive to buy for them. And so we, we just tell our kids, hey, here's how much each of you has. And, and basically, you can get what you want with those with that money, if you want to buy a few things real expensive, go for it. If you want to buy a bunch of things less expensive, you can do that too. And so that's kind of how we did it. When I was growing up, and if you remember this, remember when you were a kid and you were going school clothes shopping. When you're a student, 
you care about, usually, and not this isn't a bad thing, but you care about brands. Like you have certain brands that you're looking for. You go to certain stores to buy those certain brands. And, and that's something that, that all of us did when we were teenagers. We still do that if you're an adult to some extent. But, but when you're a teen, that's a bigger deal than probably when you're an adult. And you value the brand that's on that shirt or the brand that's on those shoes. Uh, kind of, it's kind of a big deal when you're a teenager. Well, when you get older, it, it, your value system changes a little bit when it comes to buying clothes. And, and now, for me, when I go clothes shopping, it's like I want it to be comfortable. I want it to be convenient to go in and buy it. I want it to be economical. Like if I can find it and if I find one shirt I like, I'll buy like four versions of that same shirt and then I don't have to think about it. And, and for me, Target's great. I don't care what brand or whatever it says. I, don't, I just wear whatever my wife tells me to wear or whatever was on sale. I, it, for me, it's kind of a, honestly a pain to go shopping. When, when we started this church, the weekend we started this church, my mom and dad were here from Ohio and my dad's like, hey, let me take you shopping and, and I, you know, I'll just buy you some new clothes, kind of a big weekend. And I was like, ah, I don't really want to. I, I just, and I, I look back now, why didn't I let my dad go spend a bunch of money on me for clothes? But it was like too big of a hassle to go shopping and buy clothes and I didn't want to do it. And, and you know this, that over time your values change. Your values change with what clothes you like, but your values change a lot in a lot of different areas as you look back to you and your younger self to where you are today. And one of the things that you'll see your values probably change in is you probably change some of the values you had even in your faith. And here's what I mean by that. What may have been important to you when you were younger is maybe less important to you today, even in your faith values. And, and some of the things that when you were a teenager weren't as important to you in your faith values, you look at today and they're some of the most important things in your life. And, and our values change over our life. It's just something that happens. Over the last few weeks, we've been We've been walking through a letter written by a guy named Paul to a, a church in Philippi. And in this letter that Paul wrote, he writes a lot about his personal story. And Paul is very, in, in this letter, you, you see that he, he writes about his personal story. And he writes about how his values changed over his life. The, the things that were valuable to Paul in his early career, the things that he literally gave his life for and his energy for, once he met Jesus, that all changed. And, and so you'll see as we, we continue on in this letter that Paul wrote to this church at Philippi, you're going to see that this guy that, man, literally gave his life for, for one thing that was valuable to him, after he met Jesus, his values totally changed. It, it radically changed his life and his life work. And so we're going to pick up in this letter that he wrote from prison about 10 years after he visited the city of Philippi. We're going to pick up in this letter in Philippians chapter 3. Look, look at Philippians chapter 3. It says this. Paul says this. He says, finally... And Paul, like every good preacher, when he says finally, he means nothing by it. 
He says finally, and he's halfway through his letter, but basically what he's doing is he's about to change subjects. He's about to transition. He says this. He says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Put your joy in the Lord, not in your circumstances. Kind of ironic that a guy sitting in prison would write this to free people. But he says, hey, rejoice in the Lord. And then he says this. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Basically, man, I, I enjoy writing to you. This isn't any trouble for me. I'm going I'm to say some things in this letter that I've told you before, and, and this isn't a big deal to me. It doesn't bother me. I enjoy doing it, and it's good for you to hear this again. And then he says this. He's the overprotective dad. If you had one of those dads or moms, you get it. He says, look out. Watch out for. And he says this. Watch out for dogs. Look at for the evildoers, look for those who mutilate the flesh. Paul says, look out for dogs. You're like, something, you got something against dogs? What's, what's wrong with dogs, Paul? If it was cats, I get it, look out. But, but what's wrong with dogs? He says, look out for dogs. And what he's talking about, he's talking about a group of people called the Judaizers. And the reason that he called them evil, he called them mutilators of the flesh, he called them dogs, was because Paul saw these people as the enemy of the truth of Jesus. Because this was a group of people that said, hey, if you want a relationship with Jesus, you have to earn it. You've got to do a lot of good works, and if you do enough good things, you'll earn favor with God, which was the opposite of the message Paul was writing. And so Paul says this, he says, Watch out. Look out for these people. And then he, he, he says this weird thing. Watch out for these mutilators of the flesh. I'm like, what are you talking Paul, this just got weird. What are you talking about? And, and he says, basically, these people, they believed that in order to earn favor with God, one of the works you had to do was be circumcised. You're like, this did just get weird in church. Why are you talking about that? But this is these people. And so Paul says, he kind of mocks them, you mutilators of the flesh. He says, watch out for these people. Because basically they're telling you the opposite of what I've told you, so watch out for them. And then he goes on and he says this in verse 3. He says, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory or boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. He's saying basically what these people are, we're the opposite. Where they boast in their works, where they boast in their effort, we literally put no confidence in our work. We actually boast and glory in Jesus. And so we're totally different than these people that I'm telling you to watch out for because we put no confidence in the flesh. And then he goes on. And he says this in verse 4, he says, Though my, and I love this about Paul, he's just very straightforward. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. So Paul's like, hey, if you could earn your way to God, nobody's beaten my resume. Like, if you could work your way into God being happy with you, I win hands down. If you could do it, I would do it. And he basically goes and he kind of shares his resume. He says, circumcised on the eighth day, 
of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless or faultless. And so here's what Paul's saying. If anyone could place confidence in their flesh, if, if anybody could work their way into favor with God, I'm at the front of the line. Because I actually sat at the feet of one of the greatest rabbis in our day. His name was Rabbi Gamil, and he taught me. I sat at his feet. I was his star pupil. As far as my, my heritage, man, I'm... I'm I was pure-blooded Israelite. I'm from the highly respective tribe of, of Benjamin, the same tribe that produced the first king of Israel, part of that tribe. I'm a Hebrew. I've been trained in Hebrew education. Like, I check every single box. Nobody beats my resume. Oh, you want to talk about religion? You want to talk about religious works? You, you can't touch me. I'm a Pharisee. A Pharisee was the strictest sect of a religious leader. Like they kept all the rules and then added to the rules to keep more rules. They were to the people of this day, they were the very summit of the religious experience. Like Pharisees were the guys. He says zeal, which is in a religious person, zeal is the highest value they have. They're zealous. He said, I was zealous. See, I didn't just believe this stuff and actually live it out. I stopped anybody that went against this message. I killed people that I thought were against this message and my way of life. That's how zealous I was. And so if anybody could work their way into favor with God, I win hands down. See, for some of you, you, you can relate with Paul's journey. And, and here's what I mean. You grew up in a system where you gained God's favor based on the good things you did in your life. And so you can relate. And, and if you grew up in, a, in a, a system or a religion or a church or a denomination that, that said, hey, if you do enough good things, God's happy with you. But if you do some bad things, God throws you to the side. Then you can relate with Paul. And probably if you grew up in that system, you, you kind of fit into one of two categories. The, the first category is, is the defeated category. You, you were the type of person that never quite measured up to the standard. And, and so you, you walked into church feeling shame. You walked in feeling guilt. You, you, you may have actually walked away from religion because you just got to a point that said, I can't do this. I can't accomplish this. I can't check all the boxes. So I'm throwing the whole thing out. And you kind of walked away from it. Maybe that was you. Or maybe you're the other type of person and you were the proud person. You were actually pretty good at keeping the rules. And you were proud of that. You, you were really good at keeping the rules. You were really good at checking all the boxes. And you let people know about it. In fact, you wouldn't say it this way, but you looked down on anybody that couldn't quite keep the rules like you. You probably held a picket sign or two in your day to, to, to kind of tell people that weren't quite godly enough that they needed to be. 
And this person's maybe even more dangerous because they actually think they can earn their way to God and they live their life in pride. And that was Paul. Like, Paul was good at it. Paul was the star. He checked all the boxes. He was the guy. If you can earn your way, he could do it. But then one day he met Jesus and it changed everything. One day he met Jesus and like an accountant that opens the books to say, hey, here's all the things I have of value. Once Paul met Jesus, he opened those same books and looked at all the things that he counted as valuable and he said they're worthless. All the things I valued are worthless. Let's go on in verse 7. Here's what he says. He says, but whatever gain I had, Basically, as I reflect on everything that was important, everything that made me look good, all the gain I had in my life, he says this, I counted it as loss for the sake of Jesus. See, when Paul met Jesus on his way to literally eliminate other followers of Jesus, it changed his value system. What he previously literally gave his life for literally had no value. Paul used to be the guy that was so joyous as he was watching this guy named Stephen get stoned to death. And as he heard Stephen take his last breath as he was being pelted with stones, Paul had joy in his heart because he thought Stephen was against his way and he thought he needed to be eliminated. But now Clarence McCartney says it this way, the heart that once beat with joy when Stephen sank beneath the bloody stones now rejoiced in scourgings and stonings himself for the sake of Christ. The same guy that was like high-fiving people as they were throwing stones at Stephen was on the other side of those stones and on the other side of those beatings and on the other side of those imprisonments and was happy to serve God in that way. Because when he met Jesus... It all changed. See, he goes on in verse 8 and he says this. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things. All the things I valued in my life I gave up. When When I looked at the worth of Christ I gave them all up. And I count them as rubbish. You know what this word rubbish means? It actually means a word I'm not allowed to say in church. It it means what you go do in the bathroom when you're not peeing. Basically. Or throwing up. That's basically what he's saying. He's saying, you know what? All my life, all the things I com- all the things I did to earn favor, all the things that made me look like the first in the class, all the things that, that made me earn favor with God, I count those things as rubbish now that I've seen Jesus, now that I've met Jesus, now that Jesus has transformed me. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, But that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And here's what Paul did. Paul gladly made the trade. Here's what he traded. He traded his righteousness, his efforts, his earning for Christ's righteousness. 
He says, I gladly traded all my efforts for what I got in Jesus. It was like a no-brainer trade. It's like, it'd be like if you, after, after today, man, and you're like, the preacher went long today. I'm so hungry. He usually, you know, he goes a little long, but man, he really went long. And I'm not going to, don't worry. Uh, but, but he went long, and you're just starving. And you know that feeling. You're like, man, I'm so hungry. And so you walk out to the dumpster, and you're like, man, I'm this hungry. I'm this hungry. Walk out, and there's some 10th grader this week at school that had a Big Mac and only ate two bites of it and threw it in the dumpster. And yeah, it kind of fell into some liquid. You're not quite sure what the liquid is at the bottom of the dumpster, but you're like, I'm that hungry. And so, you, man, you dive in and you maybe send your kid in for it and, and play a game with them and get, have them go in and get it. Uh, but, you're, man, you're so hungry, like, hey, bring that here. And then, and then Pastor Chris over here, he, he, he sees you in there and he, he says, you know what? I actually have this steak that, that came from Ruth Chris. If you've ever been to Ruth Chris, you've experienced Jesus. Uh, <laughs> But, but you, not really, you're going to take that out of context. I'm going to get an email this week about that. But, but, but you, if you've ever been to Ruth Chris, I, I went there a few times. And I went uh, in Tampa, then there was one in Indianapolis we went to. And it's, it's basically really high dollar. And we, had, we, were at a, we were at, had a gift card one time that barely paid for any of it. Uh, and then we, we went for a rehearsal dinner. And, and when Ruth Chris, when they bring out your steak... They don't put anything else around it. Like, they, you can buy other stuff, but like their steak, they're so proud of it, it, it sits on the plate by itself. No mashed potatoes are going to be messing this thing up. No baked potato. No, they bring it to you sizzling in butter, and it literally melts in your mouth. It's a beautiful thing. And some of you are starting to get up now because you're like, yeah, I got to go. Uh, but imagine that. Imagine, Pastor Chris, you're out there literally digging for that. The, and then he brings you this thing, and it's like, do you really have to think about it? Chris is like, I've, I've got the steak, just got it for you right here fresh. You're digging in the trash can for the half-eaten Big Mac that's sitting in some like soupy stuff at the bottom of the dumpster. It's like, did, did, you don't have to think about that. That's like an easy trade. Of course I'm going for the steak. That's a no-brainer. Man, I'd go for a hot dog over that, but man, I got a steak here. And this is what Paul's saying, man, this was such an easy trade. When I see the worth of Jesus, man, I'm trading in all my nasty Big Macs for this. Easy trade. And then he goes on and he says this, that I may know him. I want to know Jesus, not, not just in my head. A lot of people know Jesus up here. But I want to have an intimate relationship with Jesus. I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. I want to see that same power in my life overcoming sin. And that's available to me. I want to know that power. I, I, I want to fellowship and share in his sufferings being like him in his death Jesus he died for sin Paul wanted to die to sin I want to be like Jesus I want to know him that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead Paul says man this is an easy trade I'm trading in a system for a person 
I'm trading in all my systems, all the stuff I did to earn God's favor, and I'm trading it in for a person that I desperately want to know in an intimate way, in a way that I don't know anybody else. I want to know Jesus. I wrote this in my notes. What if knowing Jesus was of greater value than getting results from our system? Every one of us has systems. We have systems that aren't documented, but we all have systems. You have a system for comfort. Like you know what you need to do this afternoon to be comfortable. And you have a system. You're going to go and do whatever you need to do to, to get, be comfortable. You have a system for happiness. You, you know what's going to make you happy tomorrow or today, and so you're going to try to put the things in your life and in place in the order that they need to go in so that you're happy. You have a system for popularity. If, you, if you're a student, you're, you're going to school, like you know what it's going to take to be liked. You know what it's going to take to have friends. And so you, you have a system and you're, will, you know, you're going to work your system to make friends. That's not all bad, but, but you have a system. You have a system just like I do to gain man's approval. Like, you know when you go to work tomorrow, you know when you go to school tomorrow, you know even tonight at your house how to get the approval of man or woman, and you have a system for that. So the question is, what if knowing Jesus was of greater value than getting results from your system? See, Paul's pursuit of Christ, it was marked by humility, it was marked by focus, it was marked by tenacity, and, and Paul was gladly trading in his system for a person. Because, man, he knew systems, he had it worked out, he knew how to do it, but he traded it all in, and then he goes on and he tells us kind of how he's going to do it. He says this, he says in verse 12, and I love his humility. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus was made me, has made me his own. Verse 13, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on forward towards the goal. For the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul, as he's writing this, he's been a follower of Jesus for 30 years. He started churches all across the known world. He's been put in prison for following Jesus. This isn't like a guy that just accepted Christ. And yet this longtime follower of Jesus who gets more done for Christ in a week than a lot of us get done our whole lifetime, he says this, I don't have it all together. I haven't arrived. I've got a long way to go. In another part of scripture, he says it this way, I'm the worst of all sinners. I'm like first place of sinners. I'm the chief. He says, not that I've already attained. I'm not going to claim that. I haven't arrived, but from, from my place of imperfection, from my not arriving, from my desire to know Jesus more, I'm going to move forward by forgetting the past. You say, forget, like forgetting? Can, he, can you really forget the past? No. 
Like you're not going to forget what happened to you 10 years ago. But what that word forget means, it means it no longer has power on your future. You may remember it, but it has no power. Paul says, hey, in order for me to know Christ intimately, I have to forget my past. And for Paul, man, he had to forget a couple things. He had to forget his sin. Like Paul, if if he laid up at night and he really concentrated, could literally hear people dying that were Christians that he helped kill. Like he could bring those pictures back to his mind. And he had to say, you know what, I'm forgetting the past. Some of you, like me, have things in our past that grip us and will hold us back from knowing Jesus and making him known. And Paul says, I have to forget those things. But you know what else Paul had to forget? He had to forget the the success. Like he had been killing it for Jesus for 30 years. Like starting churches all over. I mean, he could have, if anybody could have said, hey, I'm done. I'm going and like sitting under a palm tree and I'm going to drink a lemonade and I'm just going to take it easy the rest of my life. This was the guy that could do that. But he said, you know what? I'm forgetting all those things. Because if I, if I keep looking backward, I'll never be able to move forward. And so i got to forget those things. And for some of us, and literally there's churches all over America like this, they haven't forgotten the past. They're still living there, and because of that, they can't move forward. And for some of us, the reason we can't move forward, because of what we did for Jesus seven years ago. And we're still living on that. Like, man, if you would have seen me at that camp seven years ago, threw my stick in the fire, I lived for God for ten and a half days. And, man, you're kind of still holding on to that. Or, or, man, you know what? If I could tell you, man, back in the day, 15 years ago, all-star usher at my church. There was no old ladies that made it down the aisle without my arm. Like, I, I, was, I was the man. It's like, we're so thankful you probably got a certificate for that. But you know what? Leave it there. Let's move forward. Forget the past. I hope that we're never a church that's like, you know what? Back when we first started, it was great. Now it's just boring and normal. Hope we forget. I mean, I hope we don't even remember this part of the church in two years. We forget this. We're so thankful for it, but we're moving forward. Paul says, I forget the past, but then he says this. He says, I press toward the goal. What the word goal literally means like an archer that's looking at a target and he's looking to hit the middle of the target or a runner that's seeking to hit the finish line. He says this, I'm going to press toward the goal. In our day, it'd be an NFL running back. We're, We're start praise the Lord, we're starting football season again. Even the preseason, like bad players, is better than no football. And, and, and you've, you've probably been watching it. But, but imagine this, putting it in our day, it's that running back that's on like the seven-yard line and has to get to the goal line. And it's going to run right up the middle, and there's going to be people on him the whole way. They're going to be hitting him for every angle, and he is Focus, focus, focus. No matter what's happening around him, no matter who's hitting him, he's going to get to the finish line. 
And that's what Paul's saying. He says, I forget the past and I press toward the mark. And here's what the mark was. It was knowing Jesus and becoming more like him. I'm going to press toward that. I want to press toward that. I remember when I was uh, in college, I was working at my, actually my son worked at the same camp this summer, working at Word of Life Island. And I was working at the island, and one of the things I did that summer was I was trying to like run and get in a little bit better shape. And there's a run around the island. You can run around the whole island. It's called Robbie's Run. It's about a mile. So if you run around it a few times, you know, you can get a, a pretty good run in. And I remember one day, for whatever reason, I hadn't gotten my run in that day, and it was, it was getting late. And it was like that time of night where it's like almost too dark to run, but I think I might be able to still get a run in. And so I started this run, and because where I was starting from, there was some light. But as you get around the backside of the island, there's no light. And so you get around the backside of the island, and basically you're running on a trail that's about like this, and there's woods on both sides of you. And I remember, and if you would have had a video camera, you could have won $10,000 on a Funniest Home video. Because I remember getting around the backside of the island, and I remember starting to get really scared. Like I was 19, 20 years old at that point, but I was so, because I was running through the middle of the woods and I was like, of course something's going to jump out at me. Of course there's an animal out here. And so I, I remember just, I could barely see. I was running, jumping over stuff and I was a little bit scared like for about 30 seconds. And then as I got around the backside of the island, you can see a far, far away, you can see the boathouse. And there's a little bit of light there. And I remember just booking it, hoping nobody was watching me to that light because, man, I could see finally. And I, I, I didn't care what was around me. I was just trying to get there so I wouldn't get eaten or fall. And I, I just remember, and being embarrassed at the end of it, like, oh, that was kind of embarrassing even to myself. But as I think about Paul, that's what he's saying. He's saying, man, I'm like, I don't care what's around me. I'm focused running hard towards the light. I'm running towards the goal. See, Paul understood that, that God's work in him led to God's work through him. He understood, just like we talked about last week, that this effort he made was not even from him, but it was actually God working in him to give him the ability, to give him the will to press. And he pressed forward. See, whoever made up the phrase, let go and let God, had not talked to Paul. Because this, this idea of like, I'm just going to lay here and let God do everything, that's not, ask Paul about that. That didn't work out well for him. I love this quote by Dallas Willard. He says it this way, grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. Just because we've been given grace and we have been literally transformed from the inside out, that doesn't mean that we don't press, but from a place of acceptance, from a place of unconditional love, we press forward, not for unconditional love and not for acceptance. And that's what Paul's saying. See, Paul's goal was to know Christ and become like him. And then what he does is he closes this section of the letter in a very powerful and sobering way. He says this, let those of us who are mature, those of us who are growing followers of Christ, think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal it to you also. Only let us hold true to what 
we have attained. And then he says this. Look at this. Brothers, join in imitating me. That word imitate is the same word that we use for mimic. And he says, I want you to join in mimicking, following me. And and he says this, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Like look for other people that are doing this too and, and follow them. And then he says this, this is heartbreaking. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, my heart's breaking. These people I've told you about, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their life's a waste. Their eternity's going to be destruction. Their God is their belly. He's basically saying what drives these people is their appetites on the inside. It's what's their, their God is their appetites. And, and they glory in their shame. They celebrate their shameful sin. With mindset on earthly things, and then he closes, he says, but our citizenship, basically, but, but not you. Your citizenship is in heaven. From it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Paul says, hey, there, there's some people, and I literally cry as I think of them, that have become enemies of the cross of Christ. They're people that I've told you about. They've been in our circle, and now their God is their appetites. Whatever they want to do inside, they, they let that drive them. And their end is destruction. They have their mind on just right today. They don't think about anything but today. And then he says, but not us. Because we're citizens of heaven. Like we have a bigger picture. And here's what's going to happen. One day, our King Jesus is coming back. One day, this body is going to be changed. One day, all the tears are going to be gone. One day, all the wrongs are going to be righted. One day, Jesus will return and it will change everything again. And that's the mindset we have, Paul says, not the mindset of these other people who literally live for today and allow their appetites to drive them. You, you may be here, and whether you're a person of faith, maybe you're a person that has walked away from church for really maybe a good reason, and now you're kind of investigating faith again. Let me, let me just ask you this, no matter where you are, no matter which person you are, where you find yourself, no matter if you're, in your, you're a teenager or if you're a, a, a senior adult, no matter what you are, let me ask you this question. As you look at your life, like Paul, he was like an accountant, he opened up the books of his life to look at what he thought was valuable. What's the bottom line for you? Like when you open up the book of your life right now, what is of greatest value to you? Paul says, you know, man, for me it was my accomplishments, it was my pride, it was earning favor, and man, I had all this list, and these were the things that I counted so valuable. What is it for you? Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, you have a value system. There's things in your life that you say, man, this is the most important thing to me. Maybe fast forward 
to the last day of your life. When it's all over and you have, have to fill in this blank for your life. And here's the blank. Blank was worth my life. Like it's easy to look at it like, oh, right now I'm, you know, I'm 20 years old or I'm 40 years old. I've got a long time and yeah, my value system's wrong. But at some point in your life, you're going to get to the last day and you're going to have to say, okay, this is what I gave my life for. This is worth my life. Will you fill that blank in with my bank account? My bank account was worth my life. I gave everything for my bank account. My job. My hobby. The approval of man. Man, I, I, as I look back on my life, I literally gave my life for the approval of man. Personal comfort. I wrote this in my notes. Let's not wait till the last day of our life. Let's go ahead and make our honest declaration now. Let's not pretend. Let's not pretend that that blank's filled in with something else. Let's not put it, oh, at the end of my life. Now, let's just call it what it is right now. Right now, man's approval is worth my life. Let's just make an honest declaration in our heart. Popularity is worth my life. My bank account is worth my life. My personal comfort, it's worth my life. My job, it's worth my life. Because I, I think it's real important. Sometimes we pretend, and so we never move forward. And so let's not pretend. Let's just call it what it is. Something is worth our life. Call it what it is. See, I wrote this in my notes. Just maybe there would be one student that would walk in your school and declare with their life, Jesus is worth my life. Just one. Just maybe there's one person who would walk into their workplace and declare with their life, Jesus is worth my life. Just maybe there's one athlete that would begin to use their platform to declare, Jesus is worth my life. Just maybe there is a church that would declare with one voice, Jesus is worth our lives. If, if that were to ever happen, it would change schools, it would change workplaces, it would change an entire region. If a bunch of people said, not with picket signs, but with their life and with their love, Jesus is worth everything to me. Everything else is loss for the worth of Jesus. As we close... For those of you that this idea intrigues, would you be willing to, like Paul, forget the past? If this intrigues you, if the idea of Jesus being worth your life, if it intrigues you at least, would you be willing to forget the past? Would you be willing to, to forget your past sins? Would you be willing to not allow the great things you did back in the glory days for Jesus to have power on you now? Would you forget the past? And then would you press forward towards the goal of knowing and becoming more like Jesus? 
knowing that it's Jesus inside of you that even gives you the power and will to want to do that. See, if so, then here's a prayer I want you to pray this week. Jesus, knowing you is my greatest treasure. May my life reflect your worth to the world. Would would you be willing to pray that prayer this week? Would you be willing to pray, Jesus, knowing you is my greatest treasure. May my life reflect your worth to the world. See, the ramifications of this prayer in Paul's life have literally had eternal consequences for millions upon millions of people. See, as, as a dad, as a pastor, my desire for my church, my desire for my family is that one day that they with their life would declare, Jesus is worth my life. No matter what. See, the only reason this church will make an impact is because those in this gathering declare, you're worth it, Jesus. Dear God, I come before you and, Lord, we're so humbled by the Apostle Paul, this man who had followed you for 30 years of his life. He had given so much, he had sacrificed so much, he had been through tremendous obstacles, and yet as he wrote this letter to this church in Philippi, he declared with his life that his goal was to know you. His goal was to know you and to make you known because of your worth. And Lord, I pray for myself, I pray for my family, I pray for my friends here this morning. God, I pray that you would work in us to a point where we are willing to look at all the things in our life that aren't of you and look at them and say, Jesus, you're better. You're worth more. And as I look at my life through the lens of you, Jesus, nothing else even compares. And it's because of that that I'm going to love people that no one else loves. That I'm going to serve people that nobody else serves. That I'm going to do things that nobody else is willing to do to reach people nobody else is willing to reach. Because you're worth it. And Jesus, we thank you that you thought we were worth it. And that you willingly gave up your life for us. May we be willing to follow your example. In Jesus' name. Amen.